0: Hello, and thank you for joining us here in uh, On Israel, uh, podcast from Tel Aviv. This is Ben Kaspit. As Mark Twain said when his obituary was published uh, prematurely, reports of the Labour Party's demise have been somewhat exaggerated, at least for now. The party whose founders established and ran the state of Israel for its first 30 years had dropped in the polls to the point where it was no longer considered electable. Support for the once unchallenged party had been eroding for years. What little credit it had was wiped out by the decision of its former leader, Amir Peretz, to join the Netanyahu government last year, and by the betrayal of Knesset member Oli Levy Bekassis who ran on the labor ticket but crossed the lines to the Likud. Against all odds, With fresh new parties popping up uh, all over the place, the old lady of Israeli politics was suddenly back, revived by feminist maverick named Merav Michaeli. She rejected the do-not-resuscitate order issued by the public and all analysts, and was chosen party leader. According to the latest polls, Labor is now back in the game with a solid fighting chance in the upcoming March 23 elections. A handful of smaller parties that emerged in recent months, some hoping to feed off Labour's remains, has crashed even before takeoff. One of Labour's newest faces is Rabbi Gilad Kariv, fifth on the Knesset list. He stands a real chance of being elected, which would make him the first Reform Rabbi to serve in the Israeli Parliament. While the Reform Movement in the United States is the largest Jewish denomination, the reform community in Israel is not recognized by its uh, Orthodox establishment and generally keeps a low profile. Kariv is one of its most public faces and his clashes with Orthodox uh, representatives have provided fodder for the media. That arena could now move to the Knesset with the eyes of Jews around the world turning to watch events that may shape the future of the Jewish religion. Kariv is an Israeli-born lawyer, and along with with his rabbinical work, he has served as an articulate social and political activist. We will talk with him about labor's prospects, about his plans if if he elected, about the incredibly complex intermingling of religion and state in Israel, and about the deep crisis triggered by the coronavirus epidemic with a large ultra-Orthodox community that refuse to play by the rules and expose its true status as a state within a state. Rabbi Kariv will join us right after this short break.
1: If you are listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading our Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit, and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
0: Now uh, we are happy to say uh, shalom to Rabbi Gilad Kariv, exec- Executive Director of the Israel Movement for Reform and Progressive Judaism and a candidate for the 24th Knesset. Thanks for joining our uh, own Israel podcast, Rabbi Kariv. Shalom, Gilad. Shalom, thank you for inviting me. Okay, let's start with, uh, you know, the, I think the obvious question. Uh, I follow you uh, for a long time now. And when Labour was at, the, at the, the top of its game, you ran in uh, party primaries, but never came in high enough to get into the Knesset. Ironically, could that change now that the party has almost uh, been written off? Yeah, so uh, you are right. It's not, uh, it's not
2: my uh, first uh, primaries and not my first attempt to be elected to the Knesset through the Labour Party. The truth must be said that in my recent uh, campaigns, I, uh, I succeeded to gain a lot of support. But, but because of the structural, the traditional structure of the Labour Party, I was pushed back in order to enable representatives of different sectors, like like the Kibbutz movement, to be in the um, to be in the in the list in more realistic uh, in more realistic slots. Uh, this time, uh, because the, the party is working hard to, to save itself and to, to maintain its political strength, the structure of the list was, uh, was changed. And in a way, I think that uh, I succeeded to realize uh, this time my uh, actual uh, political strength in the party because uh, uh, the party knew it as to renew its, uh, its
0: list. You could uh, make history by uh, becoming a Reform Jury's first Knesset uh, Rabbi representative. Are you concerned about, uh, for example, the clashes that are likely to to happen with the 15 or 16 Knesset members of the ultra Orthodox parties? So so first I must say that uh, um,
2: I, I will not be the first MK that is a member of the Reform Movement in Israel. We had at least one Knesset member that represented the independent liberal party that was uh, the chair, the late chair of the Reform Movement. But you are right that I will be the first Reform Rabbi and a person that is first and foremost identified with progressive Judaism, the non-orthodox streams. If I'm afraid, no, because I think that uh, the reason uh, uh, almost uh, uh, 10,000 people, uh, members of the Labour Party voted for me was because they wanted uh, someone to present an alternative voice to the uh, Jewish perspective of the ultra-Orthodox parties and the Knesset members. Uh, I don't want to say that I'm looking forward to to have uh, clashes with the ultra-Orthodox MKs, but I uh, this is exactly what I did in the last uh, 20 years and I'm planning to continue uh, um, my work in the Knesset to present a progressive uh, a Jewish Zionist uh, uh, voice. I need to say that uh, although I, ex- I, I expect, um, how to say, uh, um, a rough uh, um, comments uh, uh, from the uh, ultra-Orthodox Knesset members. I have enough experience in order to know that when you uh, shut down the cameras and the microphones, uh, it's a totally different different, uh, dialogue. I uh, think that today the vast majority of uh, Israelis understand we need to redesign the relations with between the ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, community and this, the state. That's exactly
0: my uh, next, next question to you. I, I want to dive into the details. But before this, yeah, so if you, if you bump into a, a Arya Derry or a Moshe Gafni in the Knesset without cameras and microphones and, and uh, nosy journalists like myself, can you, can, can you start a dialogue with them? So, so let's start by saying uh, what is of course
2: obvious, because this is part of my uh, religious and civil uh, political philosophy. We, I, uh, didn't boycott uh, any stream of Judaism, including the ultra orthodox communities. The uh, uh, political leaders of the ultra orthodox community that uh, publicly uh, boycotting uh, boycotting uh, uh, us now. Um, Let's go back to the negotiations we had around the uh, Western Wall Agreement, that there was an ongoing dialogue with the leadership of the ultra-orthodox parties. They were part of the agreement. Uh, Avichai Mandelblit, uh, uh, that back then was the Secretary of the Government, brought to them uh, uh, the results of uh, each and every negotiation meetings, uh, a meeting we, we, meetings we had with the prime minister team. Uh, 30 minutes before the Kotal agreement was approved uh, by the government, I received a call from the government secretary back then saying to me that Arya Derry wants us to change a specific world in the government resolution. The dialogue went into uh, this level of, uh, of details,
0: unfortunately. And the government approved the, the decision and the resolution, and what, whatever happened uh, later, we all know, they just uh, heard their base and their press. I'm talking about the ultra-Orthodox, and they just regretted the whole thing.
2: Yes, but- and, and, I need, and, I, and I must say, it's not only about the ultra-Orthodox politicians, it's also about the prime minister, because I think that the Prime Minister, uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu that was deeply involved in the negotiations showed not for the first time and not for the last time that he doesn't know how to deal with uh, public or political uh, pressure. And instead of understanding its role in uh, uh, pushing the ultra-Orthodox uh, leaders to be pragmatic, actually by not standing firm with the agreement, he enabled this situation that the Haredi press or the more extreme forces in the ultra-Orthodox community uh, uh, forced the ultra-Orthodox politicians to climb on a very high tree. And this is uh, for me, another sad example of how the current government and the current prime minister, instead of facing the extreme a players in the political uh, field in Israel is actually backing the more extreme, uh, uh, more extreme forces and neglecting his uh, a duty to protect the Israeli center. And I'm saying it because, in the end, we need to understand that the ability to build a new uh, uh, paradigm of relations between the ultra-orthodox community and the an um, Israeli state or the concept of Israeli statehood depends uh, uh, on the ability of the leaders of the Israeli
0: government. And we on the one hand, not yet, incite, uh, you, you were talking about politics, but it's also not only political reasons. It's a lot more complicated than this. It's also the the personal survival of the prime minister that needs all the 15 or 16 hands Comparing to your one vote, if you'll be a Knesset member, in order you know to try and uh, escape uh, his trial, etc. Yeah. But I want I want to ask you: How do you view the crisis of governance exposed by COVID nineteen, which highlighted the ultra orthodox community's rejection of state authority and its consequences for the rest of society, as reflected in the extensive morbidity? of their communities. Do you think a dialogue and compromise are possible? So uh, with your permission, one
2: one comment in regard to the uh, prime minister, and then I'll go back to the ultra-orthodox community. You know, I I fully agree with you that um, in recent years, uh, um, the interests of the Israeli society uh, as a whole are hijacked by the personal uh, interests of the Prime Minister and his attempt to escape uh, the criminal bottom line of the legal procedures against him. Yet, I need to say, uh, and this is part of my experience with the Israeli government, that it's not only about Uh, is personal uh, uh, escape from uh, uh, the legal procedures, is also, or this current crisis shows something that people that uh, are involved in the governance of the state of Israel know for a long time, is a very bad manager. And, And there is a huge gap between the public image of Prime Minister Netanyahu and its actual abilities to lead a uh, uh, complicated uh, uh, situations. And in that regard, I think that what we see today uh, uh, during the pandemic is not only about his personal interests. It's also about uh, the basic failure of him as a political leader and as a manager of uh, of the uh, Israeli executive uh, branch. Now, going back to the uh, going back to the ultra-orthodox community. <laughs> look, I, I look at the signs uh, in these in the streets uh, of uh, different parties like Israel Beitenu, led by Avigdor Lieberman, who is uh, basing its entire campaign uh, on a, a clear agenda against the ultra-orthodox community. But I know. Uh, that uh, um, basically this party is working together with the ultra-Orthodox parties. I was uh, personally involved only two months ago in the political negotiations in the national institutions, the World Zionist Organization, the Jewish National Fund, uh, uh, the Jewish Agency. And it is quite clear that right now the right wing is controlling those institutions because Israel Beitenu. Work together with us. This was the same story in the Jerusalem municipal elections, yes. instead of having a, 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 a more central mayor in Jerusalem. Uh, Israel Beiteinu and Shas elected together the current mayor. Now, why I'm saying that? Because I want to make a clear difference between campaigning against the ultra-Orthodox community and having a strong, uh, um, political and ideological uh, uh, philosophy that demands uh, uh, the ultra-Orthodox community to take the responsibility of statehood, but at the same time is not trying to incite against this uh, uh, community. And I think that in that regard, what we need is a, a strong leadership that understand the need to change the nature of relations with the ultra-orthodox community, understand it cannot be done through slogans, but at the same time it cannot be done uh, also by enabling the political and rabbinical leadership of this community to ignore the responsibilities of being part of uh, a modern modern, country. And I strongly believe that uh, identifying the right balance between carrots and sticks uh, uh, can work here. I think there is an internal desire of many ultra-orthodox Israelis to see this uh, uh, change. I strongly believe that if we think in a creative and smart way Uh, the things can be done. Uh, One good example is the fact that the government is totally neglecting its uh, legal duty to develop a a public school system for the Haredi community. Right now, the only sector in the Israeli society that doesn't have a a public school system is the ultra-orthodox community because the ultra-Orthodox party is always demanded to have their own uh, educational system.
0: But, but, but uh, Tarif, it looks like a clash of civilization. You know very well the the how complicated are the issues. If we're talking about religion and state, if we're talking about uh, the, 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 the Orthodox community rejection of uh, compulsory military service, a low job market participation, And many politicians in the past who tried uh, to to get them to toe the line uh, have have failed. What do you see as your greatest challenge as a lawmaker? Will you challenge the monopoly of the Orthodox on such issues as conversion and their attitude toward the reform and conservative uh, congregations in the United States?
2: Look, it is clear, it is clear that aside to redesign the relations with the ultra-orthodox communities, and I agree with you, it's a very sensitive and complicated task, but I think it can be done step by step. Another uh, clear uh, or strategic issue that uh, I want to deal with is the issue of promoting religious pluralism in Israel, uh, uh, Jewish diversity and freedom of religion and conscience. And here I think it's important to understand that there is a market failure in the Israeli democracy because it is quite clear that there is a strong majority among, the Isra- among all Israelis to have, for example, civil marriage and divorce trade. It is quite clear that most Israelis support uh, having public transportation in Shabbat. It is quite clear that the vast majority of Israelis uh, uh, don't want to have a monopoly of the chief, Orthodox chief Revenant over the issue of Kashrut, and this is, I think, the only political arena in which we see this uh, market failure that the Israeli majority cannot realize its a, its a desire, and I think there is today an opportunity to identify uh, the few strategic uh, things that must be done. In this uh, arena, I'm not saying it will be easy, but I think that uh, uh, we might have a strategic opportunity to push some kind of civil marriage uh, uh, track. In uh, in Israel, we have uh, an opportunity together with many municipal leaders in Israel, mayors and and and, and municipal politicians, to bring uh, uh, some solutions to the issue of. Uh, Shabbat uh, uh, in the public Israeli sphere, including public uh, transportation, and I think it will have a a massive support in the Israeli audience. It is clear that if the Knesset members would have voted according to their uh, political philosophy and the interests of their uh, own crowds, uh, we we would have been in a different situation. I'm definitely planning to push uh, this forward. You mentioned the relations with the North American Jewish community or uh, with world Jewry as all. Definitely Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, betrayed its Zionist duty to cultivate uh, strong relations with all Jewish uh, uh, strings. I'm using rough words, but I think this is exactly what happened in recent years. Part of his strange and unwise uh, uh, alliance with the most extreme right-wing christian forces in the u.s with the evangelists was actually to push back the progressive jewish community which is the vast majority of uh, uh, north american uh, north american jewry and here i think that uh, the next government and i hope prime minister netanyahu will not lead it will have to invest a lot in uh, Re, again, rebuilding the trust between a, a Jewish diaspora and the state of uh, Israel. I need to say that today uh, it has also an effect on the relations of uh, the Israeli uh, government with the American administration. And I think we don't need to explore in depth the challenge that right now we have with the uh, administration in uh, Washington DC which is by far if I can say the most Jewish administration uh, uh, we ever had in uh, in in DC it is clear that the current uh, that our uh, current prime minister is not the right person to rebuild the trust with uh, with uh, uh, DC and it has I, I will suggest that the relations between uh, uh, the Israeli government and the non-Orthodox streams in North America have some impact also on this uh, on this issue. So yes, it's becoming to be a strategic yes. thing.
0: You've just answered the uh, Rebekah a, a very important question that I wanted to ask, but I want to follow up on it because it's such an important issue. I heard personally from many Israeli diplomats in North America, that Prime Minister Netanyahu has actually written off the American uh, reform and conservative Judaism. Although they still exist in his words, they are now moving on a plateau and right ahead waits for them. uh, I think they're going to fall and disappear because of the the, uh, intermarriage that is uh, the rate between uh, Jews and non-Jews that is sky high among reform and conservative Jews. So he prefers to to count on the Orthodox and the Christian evangelists. And I wanted to ask, how do you feel about it? So let me first reply as
2: a a leader of uh, uh, the reform movement in Israel and around the world. You know, uh, uh, for uh, 250 years, Um, leaders of other Jewish communities suggest that we are about to disappear in one generation, and meanwhile we became to be the largest uh, Jewish denomination in in Jewish life uh, uh, today. I'm not suggesting as a Reform Rabbi that uh, we don't have a challenge of Jewish continuity, but I know the uh, numbers. And this uh, uh, challenge belongs to all Jewish communities around the world, including those that uh, enjoy, if we can say, uh, uh, Orthodox dominance. Uh, um, We strongly believe that we need to work very hard in order to secure the Jewish uh, future. And we strongly believe that the only relevant answer is to adopt an inclusive approach. Now, in regard to the uh, prime uh, minister, allow me to suggest that the prime minister didn't uh, uh, became suddenly to be a Jewish uh, philosopher or uh, uh, um, an expert of Jewish demography. Prime Minister Netanyahu for years understood the importance of maintaining strong relations with all Jewish communities, especially in North America. What happened was that he discovered that the uh, reform community and also the conservative community are not willing to align with him on all subjects. And instead of uh, having a a political ability to um, adopt a more complicated approach to understand that sometimes you can build uh, alliances with the uh, communities and individuals that you don't uh, uh, that do not share uh, all your beliefs prime minister netanyahu chose to do what prime minister netanyahu uh, uh, always uh, uh, always does and that's to push back his uh, opponents to incite against to incite against them to Mark them as not loyal to uh, uh, the state, uh, the state of Israel, and that's exactly what he did with the progressive Jewish community in uh, North America. It wasn't about any strategic analysis of the Jewish future in uh, in uh, in North America, because you know the current political reality in D.C. shows how important it is to the Israeli governments to maintain a bipartisan political approach, and also to maintain a bipartisan approach towards the Jewish community, and not relying on the relations with that, with one denomination, which is in the end, uh, uh, the minority group in, uh, in North America. Um, I strongly believe that the relations between the state of Israel and the progressive Jewish community in North America uh, um, are strong. Uh, I'm not saying we don't have challenges with the non-Zionist, post-Zionist margins, but I still think that uh, when you enter all reform and conservative synagogues in North America, you see the flag of Israel on the be mind you can find the prayers for Israel Independence Day in uh, the Progressive Egalitarian doing prayer books in uh, North America. But, but, in order to protect those relations, uh, we need to change the hard disk in Jerusalem. And we need to regain the trust of uh, uh, those uh, liberal, egalitarian uh, communities. And as a, uh, now I'm speaking as a, uh, as a Labour candidate, it is quite clear that Prime Minister is not a Prime Minister Netanyahu is not the right person to recover the relations with the Democratic administration, and he is not the right person to recover the relations but, uh, with millions of reform and conservative Jews. But
0: uh, to to wrap up this uh, issue and, and our conversation as a whole, you, you're talking as we are going to to see a lefty administration in Israel, but you know. That uh, the people in Israel uh, moved uh, significantly to the right. We we were going to have between seventy or eighty rightist Knesset members in the in the next next Knesset. It's not that that it's you know it's a uh, it's possible now to 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 elect a lefty prime minister in Israel and the the prime minister's uh, people and supporters. They're even not counting the whatever you said before about denominations. There's so many Jews that, they, that they, we see in, a, in President Biden's administration. You know, they're trying to, 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 uh, to divide the Jews into groups. There are good Jews and bad Jews. And that, that those Jews you're talking about are post-Zionist and leftist. And they're not from our own. And this yeah. is, so, so in my opinion, very dangerous. Look, first of all, I think,
2: and you know it uh, more than I, if we check the political biography and the records of the um, American Jews who are involved today in the administration, the vast majority of them are uh, devoted Jews uh, and real lovers of Israel. Including
0: Biden, by the way, is not Jew, but he, but he defined himself as a Zionist. Of course, look, the number of Passover uh,
2: seder's that will be held in uh, houses of cabinet members and in the White House is unprecedented. Uh, is unprecedented, uh, um, and 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 we know that uh, both the president himself and the vice president Kamala Harris are involved uh, with the Jewish. Uh, Jewish family uh, life. And many cabinet members, and the vast vast majority of them, have a strong record of supporting the state, uh, the state of Israel. Now, here I want, uh, uh, and I fully agree with you, that it's not uh, that the next government in Israel is going to be a central-left government. I do think that we have a real opportunity uh, um, to have a unity government, which is a true unity government and not uh, what we saw in the last uh, uh, nine uh, months. And I'm not uh, putting aside the possibility that uh, at least for part of the term, we'll have uh, a prime minister who is coming from the ranks of the central modest left uh, circle in Israel. But going back to what you said, there is a huge difference between the political attitude of people like... uh, Gideon Saar and even Naftali Bennett <clears throat> towards the issue of Jewish diversity uh, when you compare it to the attitude of Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I want to say it out uh, out loud. It's not that I'm supporting the policies of uh, Gideon Saar's party or uh, especially not Naftali Bennett's uh, 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 political philosophy. I strongly believe uh, uh, we need to work out to separate ourselves from the Palestinians or uh, vice versa uh, uh, or the other way uh, uh, around. uh, But um, take, for example, the uh, future Knesset member, Danny Dayan, that was a a former uh, council general in New York. And uh, it is clear that he is totally identified with the settlement uh, movement. And I can tell you from my personal experience, uh, Danny Dayan saw um, as his most important task to have a dialogue with uh, the liberal community uh, in, uh, in North America. I think that one of the reasons is today, uh, not in the Likud, but in the uh, Gideon Saar party is because he understands the damage that the prime minister with his uh, aggressive attitude
0: I can uh, I know it personally, and he was our guest here two weeks ago, and we were having uh, exactly this issue in our conversation. Anyway, Reva Gilad Kariv, it was a very important uh, uh, conversation. I thank you very much for for joining us here in on Israel podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be right back uh, with some final thoughts after this break. Thank you, and shalom, Reva Kariv. Shalom, shalom. Thank you.
1: I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East, and to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something, and you will never be bored, because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So, please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
0: Thank you for staying with us. Rabbi Gilad Kariv will probably be the first Reform Rabbi in the Israeli Parliament. He's excited, he's proud, and he's looking forward to the conflicts and clashes that he will probably face. With 15 to 16 ultra-orthodox Knesset members, it will be very interesting. The interesting part of the of the talk was when we reached the very complicated and maybe disastrous relationship between Prime Minister Netanyahu and parts of the Israeli right and the progressive Jews in the United States of America. Rabbi Kariv denied the, the allegations or the, 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 the prophecy that uh, the reform and conservative Jews in uh, the United States are going to vanish. He's saying that for 25, I'm sorry, for 250 years, leaders of uh, Jewish communities all around were uh, saying that this Jewry in the United States is about to disappear. But in the meanwhile, he says, we became the largest Jewish community uh, and the largest power in Jewish life in America. We face a challenge, he admits, because of the very high rate of intermarriage between Jews and non-Jews. But this challenge uh, is being faced by all the Jewish communities around the world, not only in the United States, including Jewish community with a very, a, a orthodox uh, dominance. So it's not only ours, our story in the United States of America, and I'm a Reform rabbi. I know the numbers. We are, we are dealing it, with it, and I'm optimistic. About Prime Minister Netanyahu, he was a lot less optimistic. He used a very harsh words. He said that uh, PM Netanyahu betrayed the, the American Jews instead of a uh, trying to to bridge the gap, the political gap, and find a a common formula in order to maintain the the partnership between Israel and the American Jews, he just wrote them off the map. He is inciting against them. He marks them as not loyal to the state of Israel. And it's a very, very bad and harsh mistake uh, uh, to Rabbi Kariv's words. He says that the Prime Minister Netanyahu is a leader of the past is not the right man to heal the wound between uh, uh, Israeli Jews and their brothers and sisters in the United States and also not the right man to heal the wound between Israel and the Democratic Party so he really expects the the uh, that Prime Minister Netanyahu will uh, be ousted uh, from his office after this election although we still don't know if it's possible. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next Monday here in On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit. Take care.